Good morning. Welcome to Encounter Church. So glad you're here today. Uh, don't you wish you could just uh, pay them money to follow you around? I mean, I feel like if I had that group of people just walking with me all day, it doesn't matter what store, it doesn't matter what I'm doing, even shopping on Amazon or in a physical store would feel better. Just having them singing, you know, it's just awesome. So um, my name is Chris. I'm the pastor here, and I'm really glad you're here today. Uh, today, we're going to continue this series that we started at the beginning of this month called uh, um, Oh, What Fun. And even today, we've Attempted to do a little bit of what the message is about today. This series is really about reclaiming the Mary and Mary Christmas. That what should be the most joyful time of the year oftentimes is one of the most stressful, one of the most frustrating, one of the most nerve-wracking, one of the most financially pressing and pushing. Um, and that oftentimes we sprint through Christmas, only get to the other side, and we've run our way through what should have been one of the most joyful and uh, miraculous times of the year. I want to do a little bit of a disclaimer real quick just to kind of give you a heads up. I've been sick all week, and um, so I've got my little special magical orange water bottle down there um, that at periodically <clears throat> I will have to drink from. The problem is when you speak for a living, uh, people don't answer your phone on Sunday morning if you tell them, hey, I may not feel good. So if I give you a call to fill in, people don't answer your phone, okay? <laughs> not really, but that's pretty much the way it goes. None of you, if you knew I was calling you to speak, would have answered my phone call this morning. So um, I'm going to try to um, make this a special Maryful uh, sermon message this morning, but if I have to have a coughing fit. No why. So um, I will fist bump you. I will not shake your hands this morning, but I am glad that you are all here and none of you are within the spray radius of germs. So you're safe. All right. Um, one thing that we did do. So this when we were thinking through this message and this specific sermon, we're like, let's do some things to kind of reengage the Mary and Merry Christmas. A lot of what we've talked about in the last couple of weeks have been about how to really avoid the barriers that come in that's, that rob you of the Mary and Merry Christmas. So the first week... Um, we, we looked at kind of difficult relationships and how oftentimes the people that we've successfully avoided all year, we're forced to sit across from a table and eat a meal with them at uh, this kind of this season of the year. And uh, then last week, we looked at how to kind of navigate the pressures and the stress that often comes in this season of the year that's unique and different. But a lot of that really is about rob is really about dealing and reacting to the things that can rob you. And we said, we want to spend the last two weeks of this series because we're not meeting on the 31st. We're having two services next week. Let's spend the last two weeks of this series being proactive and talking about how to add, not just fight against the things that could take away. So um, the acapella group was obviously just a different way of doing that. You feel like you're in a Hallmark movie for these few minutes, right, because they're so gifted. And the other thing is if you have kids, they got this in the mail this week. And um, this is a really fun game. And Adults, if you want to participate, you can too. We have extra cards. We've actually hidden um, nine different uh, stickers throughout the lobby. And if you can find all the stickers, each sticker has a letter on it that represents that when you fill this nine-letter thing out at the bottom, um, it gives you a special passcode. And on the back, it tells you go to starting point, which is that glass space when you first walked in. And you give them, you say the magic word, and you get a prize. Right? Isn't that fun? And, um, and so this morning, it was kind of neat walking around and seeing some of your kids. And they're like on this like epic um, kind of Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of, you know, like quest to, to find it. And, and some of them have already found it. And some of them are going to be asking you to help them. So we just wanted to, to do things intentionally today about reclaiming the Mary 
And uh, one of the people that I want to look at today in the Bible that I think gives us specific and really helpful um, insight in how to not just uh, prevent the Mary from being robbed, but how to add Mary to our Christmas is Mary herself. This extraordinary woman who, um, in God's kind of purpose and plan, becomes the mother of Jesus. <clears throat> and it's in looking at her and just a few verses. In fact, I'm only going to drill into one sentence. It's in looking at her that I think we get a really good glimpse of how we can have a Merry Christmas this year. And for some of you, this may particularly land hard because you're in a season of grief, but for some of us, it may be just a good reminder. And so, um, as Rachel referenced earlier, we've created an app for you, and the message notes are already loaded. And if you're still downloading the app or you don't have a physical Bible, um, the passage will be on the screens surrounding me. Um, we're going to be in Luke today. And uh, Luke, let me kind of give you a little bit of an overview. Uh, the book of Luke or the gospel of Luke or the letter of Luke, however you want to phrase it or call it, was written by Luke himself. Luke was a doctor in the first century. Um, he became a Christian and um, and kind of got caught up in this extraordinary life of Jesus and did um, what most biographers do, that when you encounter someone who's extraordinary, you want to understand not just them in this moment, you want to understand their entire life. And so Luke sets out to um, explore and to dig into the life of Jesus. And uh, you've got in the Christian Bible, you have the Old Testament, which was the Jewish scriptures where a lot of the promises that were fulfilled in uh Christianity are present. Uh, the New Testament is really predicated, built off of the birth and the life of Jesus, teachings of Jesus. And the first four letters in the New Testament are biographies specifically about Jesus. And they're written by four different individuals, and they all have a different audiences. <clears throat> and that, that really kind of helped the color. If you were here last, found out Matthew, who writes the first biography on Jesus, his focus was Jewish uh, men and women who were living in that area. Luke comes along, and Luke is different. Luke's a Gentile, which means he's not a Jew. And so his audience is really guided and directed towards people who wouldn't have grown up in the Jewish context and so wouldn't have had all the special loaded meaning that you would have found in the Matthew gospel. And so Luke um, tells us at the beginning of his, his letter, the beginning of his gospel, he that he sets out to do a thorough historical kind of journey and um, research. And what Luke does is Luke spends a lot of time interviewing people. So Luke goes back to the beginning of Jesus' life like Matthew does. And whereas Matthew had been a, a, one of the original followers of Jesus and spent three years with him, Luke doesn't. So Luke doesn't have all that rich personal experience. So what does Luke do? Luke goes back and interviews people who knew Jesus the best. And one of the people that Luke interviews in the course of his research, which becomes the book of Luke, is he interviews Mary, the mother of Jesus. Which is why when you read the book of Luke, the first two chapters have this really rich, rich history and this really rich, vivid kind of detail about the birth story of Jesus and all that was going around it. And it's really helpful to understand that Luke spends time with Mary because it gives you insight with there's so much in the first two chapters of Luke that gives you this insight into Mary's inner life. And this inner life comes from Luke's conversations with Mary decades after Jesus had been born. And, uh, and prior to the passage I want to dig into today, um, one of the things that Mary shares with him is about the moment right after Jesus was born. She says she was sitting there and 
that while she's giving birth to her um, firstborn baby boy, Jesus, across town, some shepherds are in the field in the middle of the night, and an angel shows up. This kind of miraculous, intense kind of moment. An angel appears in the sky to these group of shepherds in the middle of the field. You need to realize that, like, in our minds, um, if you're not even sure you believe in angels, that's one thing. If you do, most of us have grown up with the exposure of the idea of these little chubby baby angels, right? You know, the ones with little tiny wings. They look like hummingbirds. You're like, how do they even fly? And they're always, like, semi-naked, and they're fat. And you're like, what have they been eating? And and, and that's our, like our picture of babies, these little chubby little things with tiny little wings. And And... That's not what the Old Testament and the New Testament put forth when they talk about angels. They're more like the rock with large, massive wings, right? You know what I'm talking about? The rock or John Cena, like somebody who's like beefed up, could take you down. Like, like that's Jack Bauer kind of level detail stuff. Like this is the type of angel, the rock, shows up and, and announces to them, hey, I bring you... First of all, do not be afraid. And why does he have to say? Because he looks more like the rock than some chubby newborn. And he says, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. And then on cue with this kind of perfectly programmed moment, the angels appear behind this one, the rock angel, and they begin to kind of rejoice over God and over the birth of Jesus in this kind of miraculous moment. Well, they come rushing in. They are the day. In the passage I want to read today, they hurried off in verse 16 and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And you have to realize this Bethlehem's a small town, probably about 200 people at this time. So when the angel tells them you will find a baby and he will be wrapped in cloth and he'll be lying in a manger, uh, statistically speaking, you probably would have had two newborns in the entire village of Bethlehem that night. Only one of those babies would have been laying in a manger or a feeding trough. So they pretty much went around interrupting the one group of people who would have not wanted to be interrupted that night, a brand new mom, right, who is not in a hospital, but is in a very unsanitized, like just not pretty condition, baby's just been born, and they barge in. And there's so much energy, there's a whole group of them. And so this kind of serene, intense moment of the birth of Jesus has now turned into a party. It says, when they, when they had seen him, so they rush in, they're like, there he is. He's just like the rock told us he would be. He's lying in a manger. He's wrapped in cloths like this is it. And so what do they do? They rush out. And it says, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So these guys rush in. They they do the selfies and the ussies with baby Jesus in the manger. And then they run out. Can you believe it? And they tell everyone. This village of 200 people in Bethlehem. In kind of this sleeping suburb of Jerusalem. And they run out. But I love, love the next verse. Pardon me, maybe this sounds a little crude, but it's not. This is a very big but in verse 19. It says, but Mary. Why but Mary? Because but Mary puts it in contrast to what just happened with the shepherds. The shepherds run in, selfies and ussies, and shoot out the door, and they're spreading the word, and they're telling everyone they can. There's so much energy. But it says, but Mary, she's not 
doing what the shepherds did. Treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And this is the sentence I want us to drill into. Because I think it's in this sentence, with almost every single word you see, that you and I can begin to proactively reclaim Mary into our Merry Christmas. We begin with the fact that Mary does, in contrast to the shepherds, it's but Mary. She, she doesn't rush. She doesn't sprint. She's not the whirlwind. She pauses. She's in this moment, fully present. She doesn't run out the door. She doesn't get swept up in the schedule and the places to go. She pauses. And it says in the pausing that happens with the but Mary, it says that she treasures and she ponders. And it's two different words, two unique words. The first word, so in the midst of her pausing, it says that she treasures. And to treasure something, and the word that Luke is choosing, because you realize he's, he's all of this is being shaped out of this conversation with Mary decades later. Tell me, Mary. She's like, I am sitting there and I'm holding Jesus and these shepherds rush in and then they rush out. And I'm sitting there and I'm holding my son and I just am overwhelmed with how precious this moment is. It's like the world stops for me. The world slows down for me. And I, I don't know. It just kind of hits me. I recognize how precious this moment is, and so I just sit in it. Everyone else sprints out, and I stay. And that, that word, uh, treasures, really does mean she's, she recognizes the value of the moment, and so she responds the way you do with something that's precious. You hold it. You keep it. One of the words literally means to defend it. She's making sure that it's going to be stuffed deep inside of her heart and mind. She doesn't want to miss what's happening in front of her. She sees the value and she prizes it. And then it says that she doesn't just right, treasure up all these things and all these things being everything. It says that she ponders them in her heart. She goes one step beyond just recognizing the value and prizing it. It says that she ponders, and ponders is another unique word. Ponders, to, to give you kind of a visual illustration of what the word means, if prizing is seeing the gem and recognizing the value that the diamond has, when it says that you ponder it, it it's you not just holding the diamond, but you're looking at the diamond from all the different angles. It means to investigate. It means to, to, to unpack it fully, to understand it completely. You're looking at that moment from every different way. Mary's not just recognizing how precious the moment is. She's sitting in it. She's, she's remembering how it smells. She, she hears all the sounds. She's recognizing and allowing all the fullness of that moment to seep into her so she never forgets it. She doesn't want to lose what's happening in front of her. It's not just a gem that's valuable. It's a gem worth exploring and reflecting and looking and going around. When you ponder something, it means you intend to make it its fullest or richest possible. And that when you are intentionally pondering it, the end goal is that you make sure that when it goes into your permanent memory, 
you're pulling the most out of that moment to put it into memory. This is deeply emotional. This is fully engaged. This is not a text message distracted lady. This is not someone who's called up and what's happening on the television screen while Jesus is in her arms. This is a woman fully engaged in the moment. She's paused. She's prizing and she's pondering. This past week, uh, in fact, Friday, my little girl turned six years old. And I'm so grateful for those who have kids that were born in December. I feel like Christmas took on a special meaning after she was born six years ago because I had a newborn around the same time that I'm reading the Christmas story every single year. And um, I've blinked and six years have gone by. I don't know where they happened. I went from having a little baby girl that I could hold in my arms to now I have this little young lady that carries on conversations and asks thought-provoking questions and experiences more emotions in a moment than I have in a year. And, and it's this incredibly beautiful thing. But there's also the reality of being a parent where there's things that she does that sometimes frustrates me. And in the midst of this week, I was kind of just processing because um, I'm not a very sentimental person. You need to know that about me. I don't look at pictures I've already taken because I took them. I don't need to look at them. Like, no, I took the picture. It looked good when I took it the first time. I don't need to see it again. That's just a waste of time for me. So I have no sentimental bone in my body. Um, my wife and my daughter will look at old pictures, and I'm like, I took the picture. I don't need to see it. Or I was there. Why would I want to look at it again? Right? And so, but this week, I'm, I'm sitting at lunch, and I'm just kind of thinking about her and kind of having my own merry moment. It kind of creeps in and takes over my little sitting lunch at Chipotle. And... Um, and I just, she's been doing this thing recently where she's, man, she's so passionate. She, like, loves to color, and she's this little craft fanatic. It's like if, like, Michael's ever, if Michael's became a cat and coughed up a hairball, it would be my daughter because oftentimes she's wearing the things she was crafting with because glue's stuck to her, and her hands are stained with markers, and it's like pieces are scattered all around the house, and it's, it really is like a paper shredder just ate stuff and left it throughout the house. And one of the things that's been driving me insane recently is that she, her hands are always cover, colored, uh, covered and colored with the markers she's been covering with. And then we'll sit down and she's grabbing a piece of bread and she's going to eat it. And I'm watching the, like, the bread turn a different color because of all the ink on her hands. And I'm like, this cannot be healthy. Ella, put the blue bread down and go wash your hands, right? Like, what are you doing? Like, and she's touching things. I'm like, don't touch that. You stain stuff. And, and so I'm always in her, like, taking her in the bathroom and we're doing this right here. And I'm like, how is this washable paint not come off, right? And it's just everywhere, but it comes off on bread and it comes off on noodles and it comes off on all the things she's sticking inside of her mouth. And I'm sitting in Chipotle and I'm thinking about how much that's driving me insane recently. And, and it just kind of hits me because I, I accidentally, in the midst of pausing, I start to prize and ponder. And this thing that had been a frustration for me started to, to become this beautiful thing that I see about her. I was like, oh my goodness, I get so caught up as a parent and the fact that she's eating blue noodles and blue bread and I ate dirt growing up and I think I turned out okay. And, um, and what I see on her hands is not just marker, it's just the fact that my girl is all in. She doesn't know how to not color with her whole body. She doesn't know how to not be engaged with her craft, with her whole self. 
And this thing that had become a frustration to me was one of these beautiful facets about who she is that when I sat there and I turned them over and over in my mind, I started to realize how precious this was. It wasn't blue ink. It was passion and love that had stained her hand. She was all in. And this was an incredible thing. And instead of being frustrated about it, I should celebrate it. And, and for me, kind of sitting in that moment and allowing that to just kind of hit me, another thought came with it. There'll be a day very soon, because she's six, but I'm going to blink and she's going to be 16 and her hands aren't going to be stained with blue marker. Her noodles are not going to be colored red. Her bread will not be the color of blue ink that she just colored with. It'll be normal. And that what I had in front of me was not a frustrating moment. It was a precious moment that was passing. I think it's really easy to read the story of Mary and say, well, she was holding God Almighty. Of course it was precious. But I think, I think we're all living in the midst of miraculous moments that are beautiful and that are passing. That we're all in the midst of incredible moments every single day. And at the holiday season, when the most important thing in our lives come in, which are people, it's very easy to miss how fully precious they are. We miss how the beauty and the wonder. And some of you, some of you know that this year because you're living with this heightened awareness because this is the first year you have with, without the one that you had last year. This is the first year you're going to sit at a table without the loved one. That the last time that last loved one was there was last year. And and some of you are living with the heightened awareness of that. Some of us are walking through sickness and or kind of relational pressures, and, and you're staring at what could be the last special time you have. But I would say all of us are in the same boat. Some of us just don't have the blinders on, like the rest of us. That for all of us in this room and listening online, that we are all engaged with precious and with profound moments. That when we built this facility, we made that lobby look like an art gallery because we recognized that the artwork, the masterpieces, are the people, not the paintings on the wall. And that you and I never lock eyes with someone who is not of infinite worth and value. That you and I never have a conversation with someone who's just a mere mortal, who's insignificant. That we are all in the midst of stepping into really profound divine moments with incredibly precious people sitting across from us. And that if we are going to reclaim Merry Christmas, then we look at Mary and realize that what she did of pausing, of prizing, recognizing how precious this is, and pondering um, that if we're willing to follow her example, then you and I can have a far merrier Christmas than usual. So here's the thing. How do you do that? Like, like, let's get a little bit practical. One is what I just said to you. I think the first is to realize that every, every one of these moments you have with these people are precious. We fall into the trap of thinking our future is going to be just like our past until one day it's not. And to recognize that this is a special Christmas. This is a special holiday season. Enjoy it. Walk into it. Imagining it might be your last. My wife last night um, asked me this question. She was like, Chris, when I was talking through this um, passage with her, she was like, so why does this matter? 
Like, why does it matter what you're talking about? Like, what is it? Like, really kind of get, pull out that for me. And so she'd asked me that question, and I was like, let me go to bed thinking about it. And then I went to bed last night, and I had two dreams. The first dream was about losing an entire family, and the second dream was about my daughter leaving. And I was like, good gracious woman, never ask me a question like that again. It's horrible last night. <laughs> but my dreams answered the question for me. It's because we all live under a facade that tomorrow is guaranteed. And it's not. You got today. And to quote Master Shifu from uh, Kung Fu Panda, that's why it's called present, right? Because it is a present. And so I think that's the first step. The second, and this is super practical, um, is just to choose before. Before you go into this crazy season, who are those people, what are those conversations you're going to want to have? Right? Maybe you've had a difficult year with a child. Maybe you go into this Christmas season saying, this year, I want to make sure I have a special conversation. I want to treasure a moment. I want to create a moment. And so you surprise them with breakfast. Take them on a fun treat. Go Do something different. And don't talk about their challenges. Don't talk about their struggles. Maybe it's with your spouse who's had a difficult work year. Don't, don't relive all of that. Have fun and enjoy each other. Take your cue from them and what they and where they are in their season of life. And say, this year, I'm going to have that conversation. I'm going to engage with that person. I'm going to step into their life. And I'm going to make sure that I don't just rush through, but that I sit in the moment and I soak it in and I have conversations and I engage them. I mean, I'm, practically, I'm doing this. I have a 16-year-old um, brother, okay, which you probably didn't know that about me. And, um, and so he'll fly in on Christmas Day. I am a 36-year-old, bald, uncool guy, and he is 16-year-old, like, beefed out, loves to work out, plays baseball, travels with baseball. Um, it's like into video games. Like, everything he is, I am not. And, um, and so when he comes into my world, he's not going to want to talk about being a pastor. None of you want to talk to me about being a pastor. He sure does not want to talk to me about being a pastor. And so what do I do when he comes in? I'm making plans so that we can have fun together, so that I can step into his world, so I can create a moment because I, I, I want to be the older brother that he feels like he can always come to. And so carve out those moments, whether it's with a friend, whether it's with a neighbor, a loved one, or a child, or your spouse, carve out that moment now and say, hey, that day, Let's just get away, and I've made these reservations, or let's go eat at this diner for breakfast, and it'll be just me and you. I know, especially with some of you who have multiple kids, being able to say to one of them, hey, I'm picking you today and leaving the other ones home, that makes them feel special. Leverage that. Take advantage of the moment and engage with them. Another one, which is, um, for all of us, is super practical, is um, the cell phone came across some recent research, very fascinating. They, they did fMRI studies of people with their smartphones. And what they found was that people with their smartphones have the same fMRI pattern, which is like this magnetic resonance, but they can actually see it live, have the same patterns as a, like a brand new mom with a newborn. 
That what they found is, I mean, if you ever, you've probably spoken to a newborn mom before, and you'll notice the baby can be like in another room or like over there, and you think you're having a, con- a full conversation with this individual, and all of a sudden it's like, I'm sorry, I heard my baby, and they walk off, and and they like heard the baby go, is this like, like it sounded like a rat like hiccuping, right? This really small moment, and all of a sudden they just walk off, right? Well, it's because. No newborn mom is fully engaged in any conversation she's having when her baby's around. Her mind, part of her mind, is constantly, vigilantly scanning all the sounds in the room to listen out. And they've done this. They've seen this at the MRI level. And what they found is people with their smartphones, if their smartphone is, is in the room with them, they have the same mental patterns as a newborn mother. Because what we don't realize is that our brains are always listening out for the next ding or the vibration or the hum or the period, whatever weird sounds your phones make and my phone makes. Like our brains are constantly, part of them are always scanning. And that what results is there's a drop in IQ level. There's a drop in productivity. This has all been studied and documented. I'm not making this up. You can go look it up, right? And one of the things that you can do to free your mind back up is to put your phone in a different room on silent. And I'm telling you, you may not think that's a big deal, but if you go into this Christmas and you say, wherever I am, I'm leaving my phone in another room on silent and I'm going to be fully engaged, you will notice conversations are far more engaging, far more interesting, and you are more present in them. If you've got some smart device attached to your wrist, leave it away or put it on silent. But I am telling you, that I've sat through seminars and I've looked at this research, and this is one of those small but significant things you and I can do to really reclaim how precious these moments are. In front, Imagine if Mary had a smartphone. She wouldn't have been precious enjoying the moment. She'd been Instagramming little baby Jesus. She'd be like, look, my baby made the heavens and the earth. I sees, right? She wouldn't have been telling this moment. But she drank this moment in because there was nothing there to distract her. Because in a season where shepherds rush through, it's the Marys of the world that really truly enjoy and delight and experience a Merry Christmas. Because they pause and they ponder and they soak it in. And remember that she writes this, right? Luke writes this out of a conversation he has with her decades after this moment. This is how I know how vibrant it is. She remembers all of these details. All of this is still in her heart and mind like it happened yesterday. And she's recounting to Luke about the baby boy who's no longer a baby boy, who's no longer even on earth anymore. But I remember when I first held him. This goes beyond a pattern and a process of this is not a message for parents. This is a message for us as humans. But she's recounting all of this and as she's recounting it, she's, I think, because if you were to spend time reading Luke 1 and Luke 2, you realize this is not only a moment when she's born. In Luke 2, um, later on in this chapter, she does this again with a teenage Jesus. This exact same um, passage is repeated again when he's a teenager. In Luke 1, when um, the angel comes to visit her, right? Because as she's pondering this moment, she's remembering back to the moment the angel came and visited her. Like, oh, I remember what it was like to be those shepherds and to have the rock standing in your room with those big old wings. 
this new chubby baby. He's, he's terrifying. And what does she do when she remembers that first moment? And she's telling Luke, she tells Luke about the song she wrote and the poem she wrote that you find in Luke 1 about how unbelievably humbled she was. How she was overwhelmed that God would show her attention and affection. How it was incredible that here she is, a young woman, being entrusted with the most important mission, which is to to birth the Savior of the world. And she writes this beautifully moving poem to God. She sings it, and we, we call it today, some of you probably even grew up in church singing it, called the Magnificat of Mary. And that she, she unpacks all of this beautiful moment in that song. And that for the rest of her life, as she looked at all the different angles of this, she heard and felt all that Christmas was intended to be. Uh, two weeks ago, um, uh, my little girl had to do a class presentation. And in the class uh, presentation, they were asking them, bring a family tradition. And so Ella, um, I don't, don't know where she gets this from, um, said, I want to be unique. You're, you're five. I want to be unique. Okay, okay. And it's like she'd come home and be like, that kid stole one of our traditions. Like, I was going to say that, but they said it, and I don't want to repeat it. It's like, okay. So the entire week, she's got this list of family traditions she's keeping track of. And then she comes home and X that one out because that kid had the same family tradition. And I want to be unique. And I'm like, okay. So um, she gets towards the end of the week and she's like literally stressing out. I'm like, how old are you? And she's like stressing out over this presentation she has to make. But she's narrowed it down to two. And one of them is a a little tradition that uh, she'd experienced that week with me. She was like, Dad, I'm thinking about one of the traditions. She was like, actually, Dad, would you be willing to record a song for me so I can take it in and play it for them? And I'm like, this is a kindergarten presentation. I I think that's a little multimedia is probably going overboard, right? Okay, tell me more. Um, Well, Dad, one of the things that you've done ever since I was little is that you've sang the same song to me. And this week, I'd had that moment with her. And she was like, I I don't know, maybe I'm thinking that might be a, a family tradition I could share. But I, that may, maybe that's weird. I don't know. I was like, okay. Because that week, we'd had that family tradition. Uh, she'd asked me to rock her, which I've done since she was little. And when she was 14 pounds, rocking was a whole lot easier. When she's closer to 35, 36 pounds, that's a little bit harder. And, and so I'm sitting there, and she's like, Daddy, will you rock me? And I'm rocking her, and I'm doing the same thing I've always done. I'm singing the same song, and it's a Jason Mraz song that came out around the same time she was born, and I'm like, and I won't give up on us, even if the skies get rough, I'm giving you all my, right, and and so I'm singing it, and she's like, thank you, thank you, but she starts singing it with me, and so we go from this little solo moment to this duet, and it's us singing, and I won't give up. Oh, and my arms are burning. <laughs> like, man, you're so much bigger now. But it was one of the most precious moments ever. Because here off the lips of my little girl is the song that I've been singing over her for years. This message of hope that I wanted her to know. Unlike me growing up when my father walked out on my mom and I grew up without one, 
that I wanted her to know from the very first day she stepped on the planet Earth that her dad will never leave her. Her dad will never walk away, that I am here, I am present, I am her biggest cheerleader and fan, that I love her with everything in me, that I won't give up on us even if she's tempted to. And in this moment of me singing to her, she starts singing to me. I'm like, I hope the words coming out of your mouth, you recognize the full weight of what they mean. And that when Mary, Christmas, comes off our lips, I think God Almighty, all from above, is having the same sense towards you and I that I had towards her. I hope they understand how truly profound those words really are. I hope they recognize the weight of love and passion I have for them. I hope they see that I became fully present amongst them so that I could bring peace and joy and love and hope in a world where there was no peace, joy, and hope. I hope they recognize when they say Merry Christmas the full weight of what I intended it to be. And I think Mary got that. And that's why decades later, sitting down across the table from Luke, she's able to share all of this. And it's because Mary paused in the precious moments. She recognized how valuable they were. And that she pondered them. She engaged fully. She wasn't distracted. She wasn't texting. She wasn't Facebooking. She was fully engaged face to face. And if you and I are willing to do that, I think this year you will not just have a Merry Christmas, you'll have a Merry Christmas.